You know, we live in a world that needs a lot of things. Besides Jesus, because that's where we're going, okay? What do you think this world needs? Love. Love. Love and joy. What else does this world need? Truth. Compassion. Somebody said compassion, just as I said it. How about understanding? How about justice? You know, peace. This world needs a lot of things. Our life needs a lot of things. Our communities need a lot of things. Side note, we need the political ads to just stop. <laughs> Everywhere you go, everything you look at, you see these political ads. This world needs a lot of things, and we can just make a list that is a mile long. We could start up here and write on a piece of paper and run it out the door all the way to Oakwood, all the way down to Gwinnett, to Atlanta, to Florida, and keep going of things this world needs. Many opinions exist on how things can get better in this world. A lot of things can be suggested as we, we hear the experts talk and speak. But can I tell you today, it's not a personality, nor is it going to be a policy or a position that's going to help this world in what it needs. Let me tell you, we need people to be more like Jesus. That's what this world needs. This world needs people more like Jesus. And all the people said, Oh, it's, it's, it's a bad thing. We sang that song before I started preaching. We just might have to do that all through the sermon. We don't need more churchgoers. We don't need more entertainment on TV. We don't need more feel-good sermons. We don't even need more Bible studies. We need more people living and acting and believing like Jesus. Because that's what's going to make a difference. We can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if we ain't acting like that which we know Jesus is, then we are just hypocrites. So we need more people acting like Jesus. You know, the question, what will it take to be more like Jesus how do we become more like, how can we begin a revival here in this place so that we are the ones and the catalyst to be more like Jesus? Well, we're beginning this new series in the book of Mark. We're going to begin in chapter 1 today, and each week we're going to be walking through the book of Mark all the way up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. We're going to be in this gospel. It's a beautiful gospel. It's the first writing in the entire New Testament, the oldest writing. It's the first gospel that was written. It's also the shortest gospel that was written. One of the interesting things about the book of Mark is that Mark does not do anything with the birth of Christ. He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't talk about Jesus' genealogy or even Jesus' childhood. He doesn't even let us know who his mom and dad were. Stepdad, shall I say. Nothing is mentioned about the shepherds or the wise men or King Herod. None of that is covered in Mark's gospel. He jumps in with one of the most important things you'll find in the New Testament. In fact, it is the foundational groundwork of the New Testament, of our faith, 
Verse 1 of Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That in itself is the most pivotal, pivotal, pivotal verse in the entire New Testament. Because everything is built off of this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. Because if He is not the Son of God, then everything means nothing. But He is the Son of God. And Mark begins that way. Mark focuses on the ministry of Jesus Christ leading up to His death and His resurrection. Today, as we begin this series on being more like Christ, I want us to read where the Holy Spirit and the Lord led me in this chapter for this sermon today, for the message that someone needs to hear. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, you can do that. If you've got a paper Bible, that's great. That's what I have. You can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, the electronic Bible. But I want you to follow along and look at what the Word of God says. Mark writes these words beginning in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of, he- out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness Forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. Now what's quite interesting here is, is that there are, in just these few verses, there's a lot to unpack. Now we don't have to go to Matthew or to Luke to look at the other accounts to find a message here because when God tells Mark to write something, there's a message in what Mark wrote. We don't have to grab something somebody else wrote to find a message. Mark has a message here that God gave him in these few verses. These are stories that many people are familiar with that Jesus was baptized and Jesus was tempted. But I want us to really dive in today because there are some foundational truths in this scripture today. Foundational truths that we're going to be writing down that is going to be something for you to hold on to and carry going forward. So the first foundational truths for you to write down is this. The Spirit of God is the mark of identity. The Spirit of God is the mark of identity. Notice in verses 9 through 11... Let's begin reading in verse 10. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. See, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, there was a prophecy about the Messiah that said, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my Spirit upon him. This was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah. Mark's primary purpose of recording this baptism appears to have been to show that Jesus was the chosen and divine Son of God, not just a great prophet, not just a good man. For anyone who just simply sees Jesus as a man or a good person misses the point and will miss the mark of heaven. 
Because you must understand and know who Jesus truly is. And Mark gets us right into it as he begins this book. He lays that foundation to say, here's his identity. And his identity is based on the Spirit of God, not on what people think. Oh my goodness, hold on a second. Whoo! It's based on the Spirit of God and not the opinions of other people. Truth is not measured by what you think. Truth is truth whether you like it or not. Truth is real. If I take my Bible and I throw it up in the air, you know what it's going to do? Well, in my opinion, it's going to stick to the roof. How many of you think I'm, I'm a fool? If you, thank you, Chad. We've got a person honest right here, right up front. Thank you. It would be foolish to say, just because I believe that my Bible will stick to the roof doesn't change the truth of gravity. Truth is set, and the Spirit of God sets the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Right here is the biblical proof that the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus, and somebody saw it that day. It was John the Baptist. Now, you do not have to turn to to the book of John, but I, I was reading this and studying and found where John declares... He was declaring, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. But then what's very interesting is when we find in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 31, John said, I did not recognize Him, but so that He might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. In other words, John wasn't sure who it was. He just came doing what God had asked him to do. Verse 32, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and He remained upon Him. I did not recognize Him, but He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon Him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this this manifestation of the dove coming down and resting on, on Jesus was to clarify for John... Who Jesus truly was. It was the Spirit of God that was the mark of the identity of who Jesus truly was. Now, John is six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist is. He was born six months before Jesus was born, and they grew up as cousins. And John was familiar with Jesus. They probably spent time together. But it was at this moment... That he saw for himself the Spirit of God descending like a dove and it remained on him. Here's my picture. Whenever John is standing there and he's looking, here comes Jesus. That dove is still, still on him. Now, did anybody else see this dove? I don't know. The scripture isn't exactly clear. But I'm kind of leaning toward this idea that John could see this dove when nobody else could. And you look across the river while he's baptizing other people, and there's Jesus, and it's still sitting on him. He knows and sees the Spirit of God. It was the mark of who he was. Now, it's very interesting that in verse 10, Mark uses a word that he will use 42 times in this short gospel. It's the word immediately. The Greek word that's translated immediately. Now, some of your translations, the NIV in particular, does not use the word immediately there, but it's the exact same Greek word that is used at the beginning of verse 12, which is translated immediately. This is a a move of action. This this isn't a delay. This is, okay, this is happening, and this is coming. So immediately, immediately something happens. 
Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the heavens were opened that day. If, if we ever need the heavens to open up and the Spirit of God to be poured out, it is today. It is this day and age that we need God's Spirit to come and just be poured out among, among people. People would reject Jesus. People would, would say that He was a false prophet. He would have enemies. He would have people that would push Him away and crucify Him. But in the beginning of this gospel, Mark makes it clear, regardless of the acceptance of others, God had already accepted Him as the Messiah, that that's who He was. I just feel in my spirit to share with you something today. It's not the opinions of other people that matter on who you are. It is the opinion of God. What God has said carries more weight than what all those other people keep saying. We need to grab hold of that and understand it is the Spirit of God that sets our identity just like it did with Jesus. And God says, you are my, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There are many people who live their whole life wishing their dad would say that. There are people that try to do anything and everything, including commit murder, just to hear their dads say, I love you. Just to hear their dad say, I'm proud of you. They'll go to great lengths to find acceptance in a father on this earth when the father in heaven is saying, I've already accepted you and given you a gift. Right at this moment, Jesus is beginning His public ministry. This is the declaration that Jesus is going from living an everyday life to having a ministry in His calling that will lead to the cross and His resurrection. The Spirit of God descends and clarifies His identity and makes it very clear who He was and whom He was. There's three things that His baptism sets apart from anyone else being baptized. We have a baptismal pool here, and we had a baptism not too long ago. And if you've never been baptized after receiving Christ, I encourage you to be baptized because God wants you to do that. Scripture says to be baptized. We believe that once you accept Christ, that when you get baptized, you're doing exactly what Jesus did here. Because notice what it says. Immediately after wiping the sprinkle off of his forehead, I'm sorry, I just had to go there. No, it says immediately after coming up out of the water. Baptism means submersion. So if you're going to get baptized here, I'm pulling you under, baby, if, even if you don't want to go. <laughs> when, I, when I baptize you, I take my hand and I grab the back of your shirt, and if you resist, I'm pulling you down and pushing at the same time. <laughs> and if you don't get completely wet, we're going to have to do it again. The last baptism we did... After the service, I knew Sandy had a, a, an issue with water. And that was a big thing for her to do that. I don't know if you remember, but she had her hand on the thing the whole time and held on, and this much of her hand was, was dry. After the service, she said, Can I, come, come here. we got to take care of this. Can you baptize my hand? <laughs> I loved it. 
Because it's a complete submersion. Jesus went completely under the water. It was a symbol. It was a sign. He is saying, this is something I've done and I expect you to do the same. When he declares for us to take up our cross and die, he has done the same. He expects the same of us because he plowed the way. So when he asks us to be baptized, it's not because he's never done it. It's because he did it to set forth an example for us. But here's the difference. The heavens were opened when he immediately came up out of the water. And the Holy Spirit, looking like a dove, descended upon him. We receive the Holy Spirit whenever we ask Christ to forgive us and take over our life. But the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus to mark the identity of who he was to John and to others. And then a voice from heaven. God spoke. God spoke and said, You are my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The baptism did not make Jesus God's son. Okay, maybe you didn't quite get that. The baptism did not make Jesus God's son. He was God's son before he got into the baptismal waters. Which is why we believe you need to be his son before you get in the baptismal waters. One of the reasons. But here's the thing. This is one of the only places in all of Scripture you can see the Father, you can see the Son, you can see the Holy Spirit. It is a place where the Trinity, as we call it, is together. At one time mentioned in Scripture. And something else that Mark does not do that's interesting. He doesn't tell us Jesus' response. John's response. He doesn't talk about what other people were saying. He just gives us this fact of what happened when Jesus was baptized. And I believe it's this foundational truth that it is the Spirit of God that marks our identity. Now, as we look at this, this assertion is the foundation of the entire New Testament. Without this truth, everything else falls apart in our faith and in the New Testament. In fact, all of Scripture falls apart if Jesus is not the Son of God and not God Himself. If that is not actual, then the resurrection had no power. Our salvation has no basis. Because God left heaven and came to earth, and because it was Him, He bridged the gap. Not us, not a mere man, but Jesus but these first few verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, talk about the baptism of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming and God saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it's a glorious celebration, if you will. All God's people said, amen, come on now, we can do better than that. And all God's people said, amen. But don't miss what happens next. What's the first word in verse 12? Immediately. 
So here is this great moment of baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down. The heavens open. God speaks. Great things. Woohoo! And then immediately, that same Spirit that descended upon Jesus leads Him out into a wilderness. Here's a truth. I don't like this truth, but it's true. Battles follow a spiritual victory. Battles will come whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out or whenever you find yourself in a service that is just amazing and God speaks to you and great things are happening. There's gonna, a battle's going to come. The Spirit of God will not lead you to a place He knows you're not ready for. Let me say it another way. The Spirit of God will lead you to a place He knows you're ready for. He will not take you where you're not ready. Even if you don't think you're ready, when the Spirit of God leads you somewhere, the Spirit of God knows you're ready. And so He takes you there. The Spirit of God knew, Jesus, it's time. So He led Him out into the wilderness. The spiritual baptism was immediately followed by a spiritual battle. I want you to look at this, this quote from Tony Evans. This is powerful. The more God blesses you, the more Satan sees you. Mm. i got to read that one again. It's so good. The more God blesses you, the more Satan sees you. Now, we want the blessings of God in our life, right? But I'm here to tell you the truth and the cold, hard truth. Don't be surprised when God blesses you that Satan comes up behind you and blindsides you. Because that's the truth. You're no better than Jesus, and Jesus had it happen to him. He's baptized, and immediately the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. Conflict between Jesus and various representatives of evil is found throughout the book of Mark. This idea of a spiritual battle and conflict marks this entire gospel. There is conflicts between the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Even some disciples are going, I'm not sure. And John, over in the book of John, we find John going, Are you really Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? At one point. There's conflict, there's doubt, there's things that come along even after a spiritual awakening or a spiritual high. So do not be surprised if after a blessing from God, immediately the devil goes, Oh, I see you over there. What you doing? A voice from heaven and immediately a voice from hell. Comfort and then immediately there was conflict. Water, and then there's immediately a desert. There were people all around, and then immediately he's alone. This is a reality. And I really like what Tim Keller said. Check this out. Look at this one. Anyone who offers you a Christianity without tears is not giving you good money. It is counterfeit. Anyone who offers you a Christianity that, oh, if you'll just accept Jesus, and if you'll only just turn to Jesus, everything will be okay. Your life is just going to be so good right now. It's just going to be a blessing. Just, oh, that is counterfeit. 
when we are doing stuff for Christ, it gets the devil's attention. Christianity is a fight. Not with your brothers and sisters. Not with those who who are born again, but it is a fight with the one who is trying to destroy the will of God in this world and in your life. That is the real fight. We need to stop fighting amongst ourselves and fight the real enemy. We need to start acting like Jesus and really ticking him off. And letting him know Jesus has the power and Jesus is in control, not you. Because right now, there are days I go, he's winning. The devil is winning. Look at, look at the news. Look at what's happening. Look at how people talk to each other on Facebook or, or, or Instagram or Twitter and, and all the stuff that you see happening and you go, the devil must be winning. Because remember, who's the prince of this world? It's the devil. But guess who's overcome this world? It's Jesus. And as we act more like Jesus, we are grabbing hold of the victory he's already won. Christianity is a fight. Satan opposes God's will. And anyone or anything that promotes and follows God's will. Let me say that again. Satan opposes God's will. Anything and anyone who promotes it, he is against them. So if it's, if it's an organization or if it's an individual, Satan's going to oppose it. But as long as that person or that organization is not concerned about the will of God, Satan says, let me bless you then. I'm going to throw some blessings your way right from the gates of hell. But as soon as you start naming the name of God, it gets his attention. So we have a choice to make. Do you want the blessings of hell or the blessings of heaven? Which is it? There is no gray area. We cannot hide in the bushes and behind the rocks and in corners and expect to do anything in this world worthwhile. It will eat you up at your soul if you try to hide and not engage. Because just as soon as you think you're hidden and Satan don't see you and God doesn't care, God is working and something is happening. The Spirit will lead you to these opportunities. And these opportunities are opportunities to grow. He will lead you to places He knows you're ready for. Places He knows you're ready to grow in. But here's something that I find very encouraging in in these verses. Verse 12, Immediately the Spirit impelled Him to go out into the wilderness, and He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. This is the only gospel that mentions these wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. There's the encouragement. That last part, I underlined that in my my gospel. It says here, Mark's gospel, And the angels were ministering to him. Let me rest assure you that when you're engaged in a battle with the evil one, that there are angels and there is God himself and the Holy Spirit is right there with you to minister to you and to help you. We don't talk enough about angels, do we? 
It's because they don't want the accolades, nor does the Holy Spirit. They want Jesus to be front and center. But there are angels that are engaged in battle on your behalf and my behalf when we are not even aware of it. So when we find ourselves in a battle, know that God is there and angels are fighting for us, ministering to us to give us encouragement. Here's what I love about Mark. He is not concerned with the test results. He is concerned about the test itself. He doesn't tell us how Jesus quoted Scripture. Matthew tells us that. He doesn't even tell us what Satan said to tempt or to test Jesus and try to get him to take up his divine power and not do this simply as a man under his strength, under the Holy Spirit. Mark doesn't record any of that. His concern is the foundational truth that there is a battle. And that battle prepares us for greater things to come. So we, to be, we need to be more like Jesus. And as we look at this today, as we look at these scriptures, as we look at 9 through 13, we have to ask ourselves, what is, what's going on here that's going to give us a direction to be more like Jesus? Well, I think this is the foundational, absolute truth that you have to grab hold of and understand. You have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now, number one, that begins with, you can't be in tune with the Holy Spirit if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And number two, if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you to live your life. To remove the Holy Spirit is to bring defeat into your life. Oh, it may feel good for a while. But the Holy Spirit is the one that brings true victory. Not just for now, but for eternity. There's three earmarks that I just want to share with you about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in your life and you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, He sets your identity, not you, not your friends, not your parents, not the people around you, not what others are, are saying or thinking or what you hear others even even alluding to that does not set your identity when you're in tune with the holy spirit he sets your identity and when he says you're a child of god you're a child of god and when he says that you're royal and you're holy and that you're a saint then that's what you are see he wants you to understand that it is your spiritual birth and god's opinion of you that equals your identity but the evil one satan he wants you to define it this way. What other people think about you. He wants your identity to be based on how well you perform for them. So your performance plus other people's opinion equals your identity. And if you've bought into that lie, can I tell you today that is straight from the gates of hell. God wants you to see and understand that based on your spiritual birth through Jesus Christ and God's opinion, you have an identity that transcends all things in this world. And you grab hold of that. 
And you walk forward. And when the devil tries to tell you you ain't worth it, you say, well, I must have been. Jesus died on the cross. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. You can just imagine and say, well, I, I, I can just imagine I couldn't if I didn't have the Holy Spirit. But the one who created the world, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who split the Red Sea is the same one dwelling within me. Yeah, I can do this. I've got this because he's got this. So he sets your identity, a child of God, before a product of your past or present. That's what you are. Second, he sets your agenda. Not only does he set your identity, he sets your agenda. He desires to override all of your goals and all of your dreams when they are not aligned with God's. So he sets your identity. He sets your agenda. The Holy Spirit in all of Scripture, I want to give you a little tidbit. The Holy Spirit in all of Scripture does not at any time promote Himself. The role of the Holy Spirit is only to promote Jesus Christ. So if you ever wonder if you're involved in something or listening to something or seeing something or hearing something, is this from the Holy Spirit? Well, is it promoting Jesus? Or is it promoting something else? If it's promoting Jesus, then absolutely. Absolutely. If it's promoting the truth of God, but understand that the deceiver is going to use a little bit of truth to make us think everything's okay. But the Holy Spirit can help us align and know what is right and what is wrong. And it, it, the Holy Spirit inside of us will give us the right direction. And the last thing about the Holy Spirit is He determines your growth, your rate, and your path. Because I assure you and promise you, you do not get saved and that's it. That's just the beginning. That is the beginning of a journey and a path of growth, of being taken to places immediately hearing the voice of heaven and the voice of hell, of, of being in a spiritual high and finding yourself in a desert. The Holy Spirit takes you to these places to see you grow to be more like who? Jesus. Many years ago, there, were, there was a bracelet, t-shirts. It was a wild craze. Remember what it was? WWJD. Everybody was going, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? When, he, when you come up on a situation, you, you would ask, well, what would Jesus do? And there was an expectation that you would ask the question, figure it out, and then do as Jesus did. But unfortunately, a lot of people just didn't. They just wore the attire to put on the front. It's really not about what would Jesus do until you answer the question, what did Jesus do? Until we understand what he did, we'll, we won't know what to do if he was the one calling the shots. So as we're looking at this and we're diving into the book of Mark and we're seeing Jesus right here, we have to grab hold of this foundational element that the Holy Spirit in being in tune with him is the absolute must before we can move forward to talk about being more like Jesus. People can be good people. People can be nice. People can treat other people with kindness. But until you have the Holy Spirit, you'll never be more like Jesus.
The absence of the Holy Spirit removes your identity as a child of God. So today, we have to grab hold of this idea of being in tune with the Holy Spirit. Chuck Swindoll said, To grow in Christ, you must learn how to walk by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So what must we do? Well, I'm going to surprise you by number one. This is going to be a shocker. I know it's, it's, it's just going to knock you off your seats. You have to have the Holy Spirit. It's very foundational basic, right? I've been talking about this. What must we do? Number one, we have to have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know if you have the Holy Spirit, that's where you need to begin. You have to start. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling within me? Do I have a relationship with God? If you have a relationship with God, you got the Holy Spirit in you. Now, you may not let the Holy Spirit have you, but you got Him in there. But we have to have the Holy Spirit to be even begin this conversation and this process. The second thing is, is we must be led by the Holy Spirit. What must I do? I must be led by the Holy Spirit. I, I have to let Him change my mind when I'm wanting to do something and the Bible and the Holy Spirit says to do something else. One of the greatest things is when I get to sit down with my kids and they're faced with a situation and I say, you know, this isn't about what's going to make you feel good. It's about what's going to glorify God. That comes first. And in those moments, I can see my children begin to grow to be men of God and women of God. Hey, I've made a lot of mistakes. I have not done this perfect. There's been times that the Holy Spirit has told me to do something, and you know what I said? I must have had a bad burrito, because that can't be right. And then he will tell me again. But let me remind you of something. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will finally just be silent if you stop listening to Him. And if you're wanting Him to tell you something specific about something else and you're not listening to what He's saying right now, don't expect Him to say anything about the other one. And don't blame God because He ain't told you nothing. Because you're not listening anyway. We must have the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit. And the last one is this. Embrace where He takes you. Embrace where He takes me. Embrace where He leads. Even if it makes you uncomfortable. Even if it hurts. Even if it causes you to have questions. Even if it's emotional. And it doesn't make sense. Embrace it. If that's where God leads you, run with everything you've got. So here's your seven-day challenge. You want to begin the new year and have something to do for the next seven days? I'm not asking you to do it for the entire year of 2021. I'm just daring you to do it for seven days straight. And let's see what happens. Most New Year's resolutions don't last more than three, three weeks anyway. <laughs> so let's just do this one for seven days. Every day this week... Somewhere in front of a mirror, whether it's in your car, in your bathroom, wherever you are, look in the mirror and say, I am not in charge. Uh, hey, let's practice that. Let's practice that right now. At home, say it out loud. Embarrass yourself in front of everybody right here in this room. Let's just say it together. Ready? I am not in charge. 
That was pretty good. I think one more will, will get it ingrained. Let's do it again. I am not in charge. I am not in charge. Holy Spirit, you're in charge. Guide me this day. There's your prayer for seven days. Every day do it. And see what God does. God wants to do something great in your life. He wants to use you in your job, even when it's difficult and it's stressful and it's crazy. He wants to use you in your, your, your medical problems and the stuff that's going on that you wish was different. He wants to use you, but you have to put your in a, yourself in a position where you're not in charge and call him the shots. Maybe you've been trying to figure out this whole faith thing in Jesus. Can I declare to you today, God wants to come and dwell within your life and with inside of you and give you direction. He's not standing back going, well, I don't know if you're worth it. God is not saying, well, you ain't good enough yet. Yeah, God says ain't. <laughs> I, I talked to him. God does not stand back and go, well, when you stop this or you stop that, then I'll come dwell. No, 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 no. God said, I'm going down to earth to pave the way so that I can dwell with you. In the very beginning in Genesis, that's how God created everything. It's for God to dwell with us and us with Him but yet sin separated us, and sin separates us from God. But Jesus came and took our place so that we may find forgiveness. So today, if you are not sure if the Holy Spirit resides in you, today's the day to fix that. Don't wait. Don't try to figure it out. In faith, just ask God to forgive you and take over your life. Pastor, is it that easy? Yes, it is. You don't have to go buy a new suit. You don't have to go get a haircut. You don't have to cover up tattoos or, or change what you've got at home in, in your drawer or hidden behind the couch. You don't have to change any of that. First, you let Christ change you and all that other stuff is going to change. So don't get the cart before the horse. Ask God to forgive you and take over your life. For those of us who have known Christ for a long time, you know what happens? We like to be in the driver's seat. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Somebody said, Ouch. For those of you who are at home, you didn't hear that, but that is so true. Ouch. We like to be in charge. We like to be in the driver's seat. We like to be in control. Dare I ask how many of you would rather be driving the car instead of riding in the car? <laughs> I see some hands going up. It's our propensity. We feel safer. We feel in charge. We want to be driving the ship. And God says, let me drive because I've got a place to take you that you never dreamed of. So today, if you've known Christ for a while, I plead, I urge you, no longer be in control and let Him guide your life. Those who don't know Christ, I urge you the same thing. Let Him be in control and guide your life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes right now?
Because now let's get serious. Let's let the rubber meet the road. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and let's do something with what God's Word has taught us today and what the Holy Spirit has revealed in our hearts. Let's get real right now. If you're at home or you're here in this room and, and you're like, you know what, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is living in me. I don't know if I have a relationship with God. If I died today, I don't know what would happen to me. I don't know if the Holy Spirit's even here in me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you say, I don't even know if the Holy Spirit is even in my life. If you're unsure, today is the day. Now is the time to simply say, God, I've messed up. Forgive me and take over my life. If you're here today and you've been saved, born again, a follower of Christ, however you want to say it, whatever vernacular works for you, and you've not been letting the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you, would you be so bold to say, hey, I need the, I need the Holy Spirit in charge instead of me? Would you raise your hand and just confess right now and say, hey, I need the Holy Spirit to be more in charge in my life? Thank you for all those hands. So right now, would you just simply declare to, to God, I'm not in charge. Holy Spirit, you are in charge. Guide me this day. Father, you are our great God. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, which has come as the comforter to dwell within us, to help us in the process of sanctification, of righteousness, of, of being more like Jesus. Today, Father, we pray that you'll do a mighty work in our hearts and in our minds.